0: It's great to be with you again today. Today we have come to the last passage in our study of the book of Malachi. Now if you've been with us in this study so far, you've seen that Malachi has a lot to say about honoring God. And it has a lot of warnings about what God will do to judge those who do not honor him as he deserves. Now in the passage today, we're going to look at two aspects. One is the righteous and one is the wicked. For those people who do honor God and they are faithfully following after God then how does God view them? Uh, What will God do for them? Uh, Today, there might be nations where the vast majority of people do not follow God. But hopefully you are one of the few who is faithfully following after Christ. Does he forget you? Does he remember we will see that there is actually a book of remembrance and that God will remember those who are faithful to Him. The other thing we will look at is a little bit about the awesome day of the Lord, the judgment that is coming upon the wicked. I also hope that you will stay to the end of this video. We not only talk about these practical things, about how important it is to be righteous and be obedient to the Lord, but we will also look at the two witnesses who will be sent before Jesus's second coming a little bit in revelation about who they are and why God sends uh, these witnesses so I hope you stick around to the end of this video we'll learn a lot and I think it'll be very practical as well so let us go ahead and study we'll look at Malachi chapter 3 verse 16 and read uh, this part in through verse 18 and then go to chapter 4 And so this is titled the book of remembrance, and that's what it is about. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him." Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So in these three verses, we we will learn about the book of remembrance, and we will learn that God makes a distinction between those who honor him and those who do not. So as you know, much of this book has been rebukes aimed at those who do not honor God and warnings about future judgment. The nation as a whole was not giving God the honor that he deserved. They did have a lot of rituals. They had a lot of rules. They still did the sacrifices. They still had a temple. They still had priests. They still had the law. But a lot of this had become external, external ritual rather than a true, genuine relationship with God. And so God wasn't happy because their religion was not coming from their heart. It was just a list of do's and don'ts, a list of rules. But here we see that not everyone was like that. It says, Then those who feared the Lord. So we see that there is a group of people within the larger group who is who is actually they, they are honoring God. They fear the Lord. Fearing God, honoring God is a very similar concept. So these people, it says, spoke with one another after hearing Malachi's message. Now, this verse doesn't tell us specifically what they talked about, but we can make a reasonable guess based on the context. Now, in the following verses, God is assuring his people of his love and of his care for them and telling them, don't worry, you will not be judged together with the wicked. So it seems, based on the context, that the righteous people who were honoring God feared that God's judgment might include them, and that they would be swept away along with the wicked. And so they were talking together. They heard all these warnings, what God was going to do to the nation. They thought, wait a minute, we are following God. What is going to happen to us when all of our neighbors or those around us are judged according to God's warnings? And so we can learn an important lesson from this that we should remember, and that is even though your entire nation may turn away from God, then you can still be faithful. There can still be a remnant of faithful believers. Nowadays, we see many Western countries, for example, in, the, in Europe, there are many countries where you will see many churches and beautiful churches, but they are largely empty. And these are many nations who were very strong and they sent out missionaries. There were many healthy, vibrant church congregations, many believers uh, after the Protestant Reformation. But then over decades and over centuries, many people have turned away from God. And so some might feel, okay, uh, God is going to abandon those people and abandon those nations. But we can remember that there are still a faithful remnant there can still be faithful followers of God in countries where others are not following after him so don't think just because you live in a country where most people are not fearing God that you have to go their way you can make your own choice and we should remember the warning in Exodus 23 2 you shall not fall in with the many to do evil some translations say do not follow a crowd to do evil so simple terms you have a choice. You do not have to follow the crowd. And so we see that there were some in Israel who were still who were still fearing God. What happened? Well, it says the Lord paid attention and he heard it. So it's a word of comfort for those who fear the Lord, both then and now. God has not forgotten you. God has not abandoned you. God will not judge you for the sins of your neighbor. No matter how dark it gets, he still sees you. He still hears you. And so in this passage, we learn that even a book of remembrance was written for these people. And so it's likely that their names and even their deeds were recorded in this book as a guarantee that God would never forget them. And the concept is similar in the book of Esther. Mordecai does a great deed and Mordecai saves the king from these two guys who wanted to commit treason and kill him. Mordecai makes the plot known and the king has a uh, has a, a note written down in a book of remembrances about what Mordecai had done. God does the same for us. He is omniscient and he doesn't forget. Yet to our minds, this book of remembrance is an added assurance that we are valued in God's sight and that nothing we do will be forgotten. That can be a special encouragement when Perhaps if you live in a country where most people do not honor God, and you do, then you might be ostracized for it. You might be mocked. You might be laughed at. You might be scoffed. Maybe you have experienced that, and if not, you've probably read the news of people who have faced that scoffing and that persecution for standing up for their faith. But this passage is a reminder to encourage us. God remembers God remembrance. And Jesus says that whatever we do in secret for the Lord, He will remember that. And He's talking about giving. We don't need to give in a very public way to let others see and praise us, but when we give privately, secretly, anonymously, God remembers and He rewards. So take that as a word of encouragement to you. Maybe you're not being appreciated for what you're doing for the Lord. Maybe you are a pastor or a Bible study teacher who is serving the flock and you feel no one cares and no one appreciates. And in fact, not just no one appreciates, but perhaps you are even being persecuted in some way for that. Remember that God cares and he has a book of remembrance. And so that is a great comfort to us. And he also says in verse 17, they shall be mine. Another added comfort. God viewed them as his own. He's saying to these people in Israel who honored him, you are mine. And I will take care of you as a father takes care of his son. He says, I will spare them as a man who spares his son who serves him. So a father appreciates it when the son is faithful and loyal and does his duties. And when we obey God, God also appreciates it and he remembers it. Uh, here's a, a side note, but it's also important for us as parents or as teachers to, to do what we see God doing here. God says, I'll remember when you do what is right. Sometimes when we look at our kids or our students, we might get a very negative uh, attitude toward them. We might tend to pick out their faults and say, you did this wrong and you did this wrong and you did this did this wrong. And we tend to become more critical. And they may rightly question, why do you only mention the mistakes I make? Why do you only mention when I have failures? Why don't you mention my successes? Why don't you remember my successes? So we don't want to be those kind of people who just pick out others' mistakes and then don't remember the times they are successful. So practice towards your spouse, towards your children, towards your students, remembering the good things that They have done. This is what God does to us. We appreciate it when he sees and remembers, and we should show that same kindness to others as well. Now, moving forward into verse 18, it says, Once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. So this is a very, very important concept in the Bible. God makes a distinction between the wicked and the righteous. He doesn't treat them the same way. Uh, He appreciated Abel's sacrifice, for example, but he did not like Cain's. He saved Noah and his family, but all the other people uh, were judged in the flood. And perhaps the best illustration of that is when Abraham was talking with God about God's judgment upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. God told Abraham his plan ahead of time and said, I'm going to destroy these wicked and corrupted cities. Now Abraham was very worried, and Abraham thought, wait, God, what if there are righteous people in those cities? Will you destroy the righteous together with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in those cities? Will you just destroy those 50 along with the wicked? How fair is that? And God said, don't worry. If there's 50 righteous, I won't destroy them. And so Abraham asked, how about 45? And then how about 40? How about 30? How about 12? And finally he gets all, sorry, how about 20? And then he finally he gets all the way down to 10. How about if there are 10 Righteous people in those cities. You won't destroy the ten righteous along with the wicked, will you? Because God, you are just and you are righteous and you are holy. How can you sweep away the righteous together with the wicked? And God says, no, I won't, even if there's only ten. In fact, there were not ten. There was only Lot and Lot's family. And when you look at the life of Lot, you see God was applying a very generous standard in labeling him as Righteous, a reminder that righteousness is not our own. It comes from the Lord. And so even though there were not 10, so that Abraham's threshold wasn't met, God saved Lot, God saved his family out, and then he destroyed the cities. Uh, We see a similar thing in the book of Exodus where there is a distinction between his people, the Jews, and between the Egyptians. And so, we see throughout the Bible that there is a distinction. God does not treat righteous people and wicked people the same way. Now, this doesn't mean that a righteous person who's following after Christ doesn't struggle or have trouble in the world. We know that's not the case. We know, uh, for example, the disciple James, he was killed as a martyr for preaching about Jesus. So, there's a distinction, but that doesn't mean that the life of righteous, the righteous people is always easy and smooth. Well, what we can remember is the wicked will finally be punished while the righteous and the righteous are, of course, made. So they're made righteous by him. It's not our own righteousness. It's his which he puts on us and punes on us as a result of Christ's work on the cross. There's a different destination for the two Groups. So back in fourteen, if you remember from the last study, people said, "What profit is there in walking before the Lord? What's what's the use? Why should we serve the Lord?" And the answer is, if you serve the Lord, if you believe in Him, you will receive mercy instead of judgment. He would treat you like a son or like a daughter. So there is indeed great profit in serving the Lord. But it's not necessarily materials or money. It is God's blessing and his favor. Okay, so this is the first part of our study today, the book of remembrance. And the key lesson is that God will remember you in everything you do for him, even if the world doesn't. So make sure that you're faithful, even if all of those around you are not. Now, the second part is in chapter four, and this is about the great day of the Lord. I'll read this. This is a very short chapter, of six verses. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers, they will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will ne- leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness... ...shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes." And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So this is the last passage in the Old Testament. And it ends with a very strong warning of God's coming judgment toward all of those who continue not to fear him. And it's called the... The day that is coming, the great day of the Lord, the day that is coming. So there will be a time in the future when God is going to judge the wicked. That is the key theme of this passage. So there are many passages we just talked about that show a distinction between how God deals with the righteous and the wicked. Uh, For example, in Psalm chapter 1, it talks about the righteous person and it says that he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and then what about the wicked well it says the wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away so again there's a distinction between the two sinful people often think that god is far away after all scripture says the fool says in his heart there is no god he tells himself there's no god there's no god he's far away from me he doesn't care what i'm doing he doesn't see what i'm doing and he uses these things to justify his sin and he thinks he will never be caught and never be punished but their fate is certain though they don't see god he is nonetheless there and god's justice demands that sin be punished how do we know that god is just Obviously, there are many reasons, but one is Jesus died on the cross. If God wasn't just, he would just say, eh, it doesn't matter. Never mind. Their sin, you know, meant or forgiven or just let it be. No, but he had to punish their sin. And that is why Jesus, his son, had to die on the cross. So the day is coming. And it's going to be a very, very uh, serious reckoning for those people. It says there will be a burning. Like an oven, and it says that they shall be uh, set ablaze. So, actually, we see heat mentioned a couple of different ways. Here, the heat is to burn and destroy like fire the wicked. But in verse 2, it talks about the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness, and that this will rise with healing for those who fear God. So, heat can be something that's very terrible as in a fire to destroy that's what will happen to the wicked or it can be something that is very positive that brings warmth that brings life after all we cannot live without the light of the sun and without the heat that it brings so there's two groups of people the first group will be set ablaze okay and the second group will have the sun of righteousness rising on them with healing in their wings. So which group would you rather be? Which verse would you rather be in? Would you rather be in verse 1 or would you rather be in verse 2? Now when we put it plainly like that, the answer is obvious. Well, we want his healing. We want the warmth and the light and the beauty from him. We want the joy from him. It says you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. That's what we want. But then why are there so many wicked people? Why are there so many who do not believe God? Well, simply put, they choose the short-term pleasures of sin rather than the long-term abundant life that comes with following after Christ. So this is the two results that may happen. If you want to be in verse 2, there is one way. That is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The only way we can have a good relationship with God is through Christ. And it's quite uh, fitting that the last passage in the Old Testament is a warning of judgment. In the Old Testament, it tells us people's problem. People's problem is sin. And from the book of Genesis, where Adam and Eve fall into sin and the curse comes and their son Cain murders, and you go through the whole Old Testament, and you see sin, 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 sin. And you see God sending prophets, and you see God sending the law, and God sending his word, even angels and miracles, and all of these things which God is doing to deliver them and to save them and sometimes to discipline them. And still, it's the same cycle. Sin again, sin again. And people cannot get out of this cycle. People cannot save themselves. And so, the Old Testament almost ends with a message of doom. A message of warning, a message of despair, like judgment is coming. Of course, there are many verses elsewhere in Isaiah and other places that promise the coming Messiah who will save. But the point is, the Old Testament is a message of bad news. The bad news is you and I, we are sinners. We cannot save ourselves from that sin. So we need someone to help us. And so in the very next verse in the book of Matthew, the New Testament starts, and that tells us the story of the gospel, the good news, how God solved our problem of sins. Let's go forward in the passage. Verse 4 remember the law of my servant Moses. So, how should the Jews react to what they were taught in verses 1 through 3? How should they apply it to their lives? Well, the the answer is clear. Remember the law of Moses. In fact, God had already given them the entire framework for how they were to live their lives, everything they needed to know about how they should live. God had already told them. So Malachi is not giving them new information. He's not telling them some new or divine revelation. He's just reminding them of what they know already. And that is you already have the law. You already have the truth. You already have God's commands. You just need to go back and you need to do it. So they couldn't say, oh, I didn't know, or well, they, could, they couldn't claim ignorance as an excuse. We have everything we need. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. He has given you everything that you need to live a godly Christian life. For me, that's why I prefer to spend most of my time reading to study the Bible directly, to read straight from the source rather than other books. And no, no, I don't mean that other books are not good, but the Bible is enough. It has what we need to live a godly Christian life. So again, remember the law. And at the same time, as they try to do the law, they will realize they fall short. And so they need to come to God In faith, he is the one who saves. Now let's go forward, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So this uh, second coming event, this end times revelation of the Messiah, that is Jesus, is called the great and awesome day of the Lord. A fearsome day, a, a spectacle, a supernatural event. And he says, before that comes, I will send you Elijah. And so isn't this wonderful words of comfort again, that God is sending us warnings, that God is sending his prophets to come and tell us the truth so that we can avoid the judgment that the great and awesome day of the Lord brings. And so throughout scripture, we see again and again, God doesn't just suddenly boom, deliver his judgment, he sends warnings first. He sends prophets first and he tells them, this is what will happen if you don't turn back to me. And so God is so gracious at every point in human history to give people the message of good news or to give people the warning of judgment. So what is this talking about? I will send you, Elijah at the beginning of this lesson I said we will talk about these uh, two witnesses now some scholars believe that Elijah will return before the end days before the last days as one of these two witnesses the two witnesses are mentioned in Revelation 11 1 through 3 uh, this is okay. verse 3 I will grant authority to my two witnesses they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth and then it goes on to describe their ministry they're like two olive trees they're like two lampstands if anyone tries to harm them fire comes from their mouths to burn them they have some supernatural uh, miracles which god enables them to do and then finally the antichrist will rise up and kill these two witnesses. Uh, I have done a study on the whole book of Revelation, also Revelation 11. You can check that out for more information on these witnesses. But today we will keep it fairly simple and to the point. In the book of Revelation, it is a very, very dark time. The world has gone to chaos. There's tribulation, there's trials, disaster all over the world. Some are inflicted by mankind itself and some are inflicted by God as judgment for people's willful sin. The Antichrist will be ruling at that time and will be persecuting, murdering anyone who declares their faith in Jesus Christ. So it will be a very, very dark time. But even in that very darkest of times, God sends to witnesses who cannot be harmed and then he supernaturally protects them. Almost puts a force field shield around them so that no one can do anything to them. And you can bet the Antichrist will try to do it if he could. They will be protected and their witness will go out and people will hear and will know the truth. So at every stage in human history, even in the future, in the darkest of the dark times, God sends a light God sends his prophet, his witness to tell us the truth so that people always have an opportunity to repent. Um, Now, I believe personally that Elijah is probably one of these two witnesses. Uh, One reason is, well, here it says that he's going to send Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now, some apply this to John the Baptist. And it's true that John the Baptist kind of figuratively fulfilled uh, the role of Elijah. He was a type of Elijah. Um, but Hebrews 9:27 says that it's ap- appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. So this verse uh, reminds us that in at least generally people die. And so Elijah didn't die. Actually, Enoch also didn't die. Perhaps God took them first to heaven because he says, later I'm going to send you down again to finish your prophetic ministry. That will be during the end times of Revelation. So I tend to believe that these two uh, witnesses in Revelation are likely uh, Elijah and Enoch. Um, I could be wrong. This is somewhat speculation. The point is not worth arguing over. Again, the main point is God cares enough about his chosen people to send spirit-filled prophets to them. Many were rejected, many were persecuted, but God will keep on doing it. So we see God's great mercy and his great patience, giving chance after chance after chance, long after people do not deserve any more chances. So the picture we get when we look at judgment is not, okay, God is an arbitrary or or capricious judge just waiting to deal out his judgment instantly upon those who disobey him. Not at all. He's very merciful and he's very gracious and he's very patient. He sends many, many, many warnings and he's constantly encouraging and pleading with people to turn to him before it is too late. And yet at the same time, he's just and judgment will come to those who continue to rebel. Okay, let's come to the very last verse in the Old Testament. Verse six, it says he, that's talking about Elijah, will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So he will restore the hearts of the people. Mentioning the word heart shows that repentance needs to take place and it comes from the heart. Heart change is real change. And this heart change will bring about a great many changes in their lives including restored family relationships. One thing that sin does is it destroys people's relationship with each other. Marriages, families, neighbors, sin destroys all of these relationships. But what we see in verse 6 is when people repent and come back to the Lord, it mani- that their changed heart manifests itself in the way that their relationships improve with others. And once again, you see love from person to person. And so, in the New Testament, we see that the key Christian characteristic is love. 1 Corinthians 13 shows us that love is the center. So, when people repent and come back to God, their hearts will be filled with love, and they will start loving those around them, even people they found it very hard to love before. Okay, and again, a final warning. If people do not turn to him, if people do not honor him, then he would come and strike the land, With a decree of utter destruction. So, what we see is two paths. The path of the wicked, who says, I don't care about God, I don't care about his laws, I want to satisfy myself. And you see the path of the righteous, the person who says, I've heard from God, I've heard his message, I want to believe in him, I want to confess my sins, I want to follow him. Two distinct paths will lead to two distinct destinations. One leads to destruction. That's the broad way that leads to destruction. And one is the narrow road which leads to eternal life. Which path are you on? The message from Malachi is that we are to honor God. We're to honor God in our heart, in our mind. We're to honor God in our home, in our family, in our community, in our church. And we're to honor him by respecting his word and by obeying what he's called us to do and confessing. When we fall short, which of these two paths are you on? And are you honoring God as he calls you to do? I hope that this passage in Malachi and the study that we've done through this book has been encouraging to you. And I hope that you will join us next time as we continue to study more books in the Bible, one passage at a time. God bless. Take care. To see our entire library of over 800 Bible studies, please visit our website at www.studyandobey.com.